Welcome to Weekly Grooves. My name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. Each week, Weekly Grooves picks a current article or news topic, and we explore it through a behavioral science lens. We dig in to help you understand the psychology behind the headline. The specific topic is current, but the insights are timeless. Okay, Tim, what is our topic of discussion going to be this week? So there was a recent op-ed piece in Elemental Medium called Quarantine Fatigue is Overtaking Us, We Could Have Done Better. And it was written by Gabe Zickerman. And in the piece, he outlined some of the human hardships that we are facing in quarantine and the fatigue factor that accompanies them with a bit of controversial advice on how he should have handled it. How we should have handled it. Yes. So part of this, he states, is because both politicians and many scientists have a, quote, marked lack of insight about how people behave, unquote. Yeah, that's correct. All right. So where do we want to begin? Well, in the article, Zickerman lays out three areas that are leading to fatigue and for each makes some recommendations for what should have happened, or as he calls it, a do-over. So the three areas are one, human contact, two, shame and stigma, and three, boredom and restlessness. So how about if, how about if we start by exploring those? That sounds great. So the first one human contact. We need human contact. We've talked about this on the show before. Absolutely, yep. There's the, you get this release of endorphins um, in your brain, make you feel less stressed, feel you much better. It brings down your heart rate, a whole bunch of really positive aspects of this. And he talks about that, that there is a quote, the need for physical touch is ingrained in most humans from an early age. And that I think is really important. It's also important the number of people who are impacted by this. Like without the statistics, it's kind of, it's it was overwhelming for me to see that there were 120 million that were went into quarantine alone. At Americans. That, that's Americans. Americans. Yeah, yeah, just Americans. And th- that was kind of shocking to me because I hadn't hadn't considered the actual total number. Right. And the idea that that Zickerman brings up is that there has been this focus on an absolute social distancing without any consideration for the human need for touch. Now, I get that, right? And, and he talks about that there's a backlash because of that. There's this psychological reactance, right? We have this pushback against perceived affronts to our freedom, and that feels like an affront to our freedom. There's the forbidden fruit effect that he brings up, which is this idea, wow, it's now forbidden. I I, I, I now want it. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so I think there's some real key pieces there that he brings up. However... In his do-over section, I, I'm a little a little concerned because he brings up this idea that in in future pandemics or what we should have done is have specific instructions for how users can um, be guide have some guidance around uh, contouring the risk. In other words, how can we touch and still be safe when? Maybe you can't have any touch because it's just not safe enough, at least not with people who are outside of your your network. Yeah, yeah, it's pushing it a little a little far. And we know from history uh, how prohibitions work. So in some ways, I agree that we could have anticipated that uh, if 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 we just come on and say there you have to stay home. 
period, unless you, you know, unless it's for an, a medical emergency or for food, then, you know, you, uh, or you're um, a critical worker, then you pretty much have to stay at home. That's a really harsh, that's a harsh prohibition to say you can't go outside. And we know how people respond to that. Yeah. So, so the idea of being able to anticipate that at the beginning could have happened. So the government could have helped us ease into that. Um, and used behavioral science to actually uh, modify the messaging in a way that appealed to us or we understood the reasoning behind it and helped us just deal with this idea of being alone for, right. for the time being. Well, and he talks about sex with singles and this idea that people are missing sex and so they're going out of their way in this hookup culture and now it went on hiatus, but now it's coming back and, and yeah. being, you know, bigger. and higher now, yeah. Yeah, and I... I have problems with that idea that, you know, people need sex, um, that they can't go a couple months without it. However, behavioral science, we can we can do different things like that. And he did bring up some ideas of, you know, thinking about, all right, so if you are uh, single and you, you want to have sex, make sure it's monogamous and various different pieces. And maybe, as we've had some other conversations, one of the things that the government could have done or that we could have been suggesting from behavioral science perspective perception is if you're single, can you find a way to co-shelter together? Uh, quarantines, as uh, one of our guests had mentioned on Behavioral Grooves, our other, our other episode of this, where you may be single and you're living by yourself, but just like a nuclear family that, that cohabitates together, you don't have to live together, but you can at least have this small group of people that you have agreed to the rules that you are going to abound by and that you can have that social connection that is actually physical connection. And so you can get together and have those times where you can, hey, give somebody a hug or pat them on the back, or if it is a to a willing, you know, people have sex if you so desired. Yeah, those are, that would be a good guideline to be able to offer to people to help deal with this tremendous anti-DNA issuance of don't see anyone, don't, you know, don't be close to anyone and absolutely do not touch anyone. That would have mitigated our reactants and our forbidden fruit uh, issues. Right. So this next one is shame and stigma. So he brings up this idea that, hey, many leaders were encouraging the use of stigma or snitching or shame uh, to change behavior and how for a certain component of this, uh, and I quote, some amount of shame and social stigma can be highly effective at ensuring group norms are met, but uh, the likely response from people will be to do it, but to keep it on the down low. Yeah. So, again, really insightful there that, yes, social stigma can be very powerful. We know a lot about social norms yeah. uh, that they work, but too much and all of a sudden you're just hiding the the negative behavior as opposed to uh, having it happen in, in the sunshine. Yeah. Well, we know from Christina Bicchieri and from other social scientists, this idea that every everything that a person does is contributing at least that they do in the social sphere is contributing to the social norm. So mm -hmm. with all these things that we have to be thinking about during the crisis, one of the things that, that we could be thinking about is how we don't want to shame people or, or use stigmas in purely negative ways. Yeah. On the other hand, there are going to be social norms that we have concerns about and that shaming and stigma can actually act as a positive. Right. Now, the other piece of this is shaming reinforces us versus them. 
So there is True. this we versus them and this idea that, that there could be some backlash from shaming uh, such that given the political tribal nature that we live in, in this environment, that if you are being shamed by the other group, it actually is a positive in your in group. So right. thinking about some of the people and not wearing face masks and the reopening of, of, you know, the, the country at this point, you know, some people are shaming them, but for some that now becomes that shame that shaming by the other group becomes a, a, a badge of honor for them just to, to, to point that out. So it can have a, a backlash impact. And so I thought that was really uh, a good point to make out. Shaming may not be as positive as we, we think it could be. Well, especially because of this, this backfire effect that, mm-hmm. that can happen from it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the third thing that he talked about was boredom and restlessness. Right. Yeah. And and so uh, and just to 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 quote him uh, Zickerman in the article, he said that uh, trapped with the same people doing the same things over and over again will provoke any person to reach their wits end. And <laughs> guess what? We know that, right? We we do know that. I I do have a hard. Uh, I I may disagree with this, and and yes, the science probably points that that happens. But man, sometimes I just say, buck up, people. You know, this is one of those pieces. <laughs> it's a few months and yeah, you're with the same people, same thing. But you don't have to do the same thing over and over again. And I think one of the the highlights that I've seen from this whole pandemic is the creativity that we have as humans. The ideas and the creative outlets that we've been able to do just from how to see people and drive by graduations and all sorts of other creative pieces from doing hobbies, finding new hobbies, painting, music, all those things that people are doing. Yeah, we get bored, but damn, this is really important not to just go out because we're bored and, you know, break quarantine uh, from that perspective. Well, there is some work to suggest that boredom is actually a progenitor of creativity, that it it drives I'm because I'm bored. And as as our friend George Lowenstein says, it's painful for him to be. Yeah, bored. it's actually painful. But that is the motivation to go and create something new, to do something different. And so boredom could be framed in a positive way to say, OK, so what's the problem here? Yeah. What could I do about it? And and honestly, when when he says that the government, uh, that when the author says the government should have a list of activities at the ready to disseminate to individuals and families for quarantine times, it felt a little bit snowplowy to me. Like get get mom and dad out in front of this with the snowplow and and take care of it for us. <laughs> yeah, I can see that too. Well, and he does bring up this this fact that you know humans are novelty seekers. I fully agree with sure. that. But I think part of this quarantine that is really interesting and. It we get into this in some creativity talks that we do is there's boundaries, right? And so one of the things we know about creativity is sometimes boundaries actually make us more creative. As you said, it's this impetus for us to go out and and do some of these things uh, being bored, but then you're within these boundaries of the quarantine. So you can be really more creative and have some more unique aspects of this. And so I'm, I'm of the, maybe I'm old, maybe I'm, I've become my parents, right? But it's just like, <laughs> you're working it, hard to do it. <laughs> damn it. Buck up and just deal with the, the boredom. Like my, when my kids say I'm bored, 
I say, I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can, there are so many different things that you can do. And given today the technology and everything else, it, I don't know how people can be bored. If you're really bored, you can find something that isn't boring. So, oh, okay. Well, let, let's recap this. How about okay. that? Okay. So we do feel quarantine fatigue. It's real. It's a real phenomenon with real consequences in a time of pandemic. It is brought on by a number of factors and some of which Gabe Zickerman outlines in the article, but we feel that he may have missed the boat on some of his ideas a bit. Yeah. So as humans, we want human contact. And that's very clear. It provides a sense of connection and well-being by releasing endorphins in our brains. However, Zickerman proposes that in future pandemics, that there should be ways a single people should be able to get out and touch and maybe even have sex. Well, this may be a bit much, right? Now, there are ways that we could think about that and maybe using some behavioral science to do that. That would be great. Um, and while we desire touch and it's comforting, you know, we should be able to, as humans, go for a few months without it. However, we would recommend that we find ways for single people to co-shelter with others so that they can have a hug or a pat on the back or even have monogamous sex if that is desirable for both parties. So stigma and shame can help to reinforce appropriate social norms, but it can also lead people to hide their behavior and do things on the down low. Like we need to be careful to not use shame when it isn't needed. People are already stressed out and don't need additional strain or stigma or shame, which could end up backfiring. Finally, we get bored and this could lead us to feeling of fatigue. We are novelty seeking creatures and being stuck at home can be nerve wracking. However, with a big however, big. we are also very resourceful and can be very creative in finding ways to overcome boredom when needed. Yes, it is hard. But to that, I become my father and I say, buck up and find something <laughs> creative to do. Okay, well, that wraps up this episode of Weekly Grooves. We appreciate you listening and hope that you enjoyed this and found it useful. If you did like it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. We so appreciate you listening. So go out and have a great week. Mm-hmm.